Thank you, worship team. Could we give it up for our worship team? Amazing, amazing. Well, welcome to 678. If we have not met before, hi, I'm Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. Really excited to really jump into God's word and see what he has for us as we continue on our series we're calling Truth and Love, looking at what it means to love as a Christian when we value the Bible as truth. And so I wanted to start off by us imagining a scenario, okay? Could we do that? Yes? Okay. So I want us to imagine that we are going on this epic trip to Italy. Ooh, right? To Italy. So an epic trip to Italy. And in preparation, some of the things that you might do is you might stop by Barnes & Noble and get some guidebooks, right? You might start making a list of plans you want to do in Italy, whether it might be visiting the Colosseum, taking a gondola ride, right? Going to see some museums. You might even go as far as downloading Duolingo and deciding that you're going to take on this moment to learn Italian. Right? Learn some phrases, know how to order some food. Right? But all of these things are so good, right? These are exciting, good things. So what you do is months of preparation. You're getting all excited. There's so much anticipation. The day has arrived. You pack your bags. You get on a plane. Several hours later, your plane lands, right? You're so excited for your trip to Italy. The stewardess comes over the intercom and says, welcome to Holland. What? What? Your first response might be, wait, I'm supposed to be in Italy, right? I planned for Italy. I've been dreaming about going to Italy for as long as I can remember. I'm supposed to be for, in Italy. I signed up for that, right? But here's the important thing about this situation is that you haven't been dropped off in a place that is horrible, that is scary, that is gross, that is filthy, right? It's just different. And so what that might mean, now that you're in Holland, is it might mean that you get to get different guidebooks. You get an opportunity to learn a new language. You get an opportunity to make new lists of things to go see, right? But what I want us to realize is like, once you catch your breath and you look around and you're like, whoa, Holland has like these gorgeous windmills. Wow, Holland has these beautiful fields of tulips. Like Holland is actually really cool. Holland is really special. And what we have to realize is I don't wanna get caught up in everyone talking about their trip to Italy. Like maybe the jealousy and the bitterness you might feel if someone's like, hey, do you want to see pictures of my trip to Italy? Well, you're in Holland, right? Because if you have this mindset that you're like, oh, you're mourning and you're obsessed over the fact that you were supposed to be in Italy, then you might never, ever, ever be free to enjoy the beautiful, wonderful things that are in Holland, you might be thinking, okay, Britt, you're crazy. Like, why are you talking about Holland? Why are you talking about Italy and, like, sketchy flight patterns? Like, what is up with that? Well, 
I wanted to use that story for us to realize that that might be something we might feel when we talk about singleness. Ooh, so that's what we're talking about tonight. Now, 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 before we get any further in this conversation, before we get any further, what I want you to know so, so clearly from the very beginning is that you might be sitting here like, Britt, those aren't things I think about. Like, I don't think about marriage. Like, I don't think about dating or relationship. Like, that's just not who I am right now, and that is okay, right? But what we want to do is offer an opportunity to be able to begin the conversation of what it looks like if you date one day, if you get married one day, if you are single one day, but also that it is up to your parents. Your parents have the ultimate authority of when you date, because you might have a, a parent that says, oh, I can't date until I'm 16. Honor your mother and father in that, right? And so what I want us to do is I want us to realize that this is an important conversation to have, even if it's not something that we're thinking about, because it's so much more than just being single. It's so much more than what our relationship status is, okay? Can we do that? Yes, okay. Now, what I'm also not saying is that everyone who wants to desperately be married is forever going to be single and miserable, but I don't want us to miss the point of singleness. I don't want us to miss the beauty and the purposes of singleness. Because sometimes we like to uh, treat, I, I always think of like the old claymation Rudolph. And there was the island of the misfit toys. And it was like where all the bad broken toys went. Like I don't want us to see singleness as like, oh, all the people who are broken go over there. Right? Like, singleness isn't this, like, awkward meanwhile while you're, what we like to say, in a season of waiting, right, until we level up like Mario Kart, right? But that there is purpose and there's things connected to singleness. And how do we respond to this? Because what I want us to realize is I never want you to cling onto a promise that was never initiated by God. See, God doesn't say and promise that we're all going to be married one day. And so this is an important uh, conversation for us to have. And can I just say, I am with you if you're feeling like that. Maybe you are thinking about, you know, your future. I'm with you, I'm single, right? And so we can say that there's moments where it's hard. There are moments where I feel like we live in a world that is so obsessed with people being in relationship, people being as a couple. And sometimes there's moments where it feels like little paper cuts that feel so awful when you're around, especially Valentine's Day, and it just so feels like in your face, right? And so what I want us to realize is, yes, we can say it's hard. We can be honest and vulnerable and say that it's hard. But again, I want us to realize that hardships and difficulties, whether it's singleness or something else, doesn't disprove the goodness of God. See, what we have to realize is it doesn't disprove it. It actually showcases his power, his sufficiency, and his grace over our lives. 
And so tonight, I want to look at four truths we see when we get to talk about singleness. So here's the first one. And if you have a handout, you can fill it out as we go. If we get singleness wrong, then we get marriage wrong as well. See, I want us to be so clear is that this is not an anti-marriage thing. I don't want you to go home and be like, Brit is so bitter about marriage. She like talked it down. She says it's the worst. Like, no, what I want us to really be able to see rightly singleness, see rightly marriage as well. See, there's purposes and intention in both singleness and purposes and intention in marriage. And they actually need each other for us to help us understand the other one. And so for some of us, that might mean we get to bring marriage down off of a pedestal and see it for what God intended it to be. Maybe for other people, we have to pull singleness out of the pits of, I never want to, I never, 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 never want to pit, and see, whoa, there's intention, there's purpose in this. And also, our world has been just so wishy-washy about singleness and marriage, what is more important, what is least important. There's been times where singleness has been put on a pedestal, and it was a moment where you were so devoted to God like marriage is a distraction and so you have to be single to be so devoted to what God has for you and then there's been the opposite where it's like only to be able to be the most mature Christian to ever walk this planet you had to be married and singleness was just a moment of your season of waiting until you get to experience that and so what I have to have a stop and realize is that these are beautiful things, and they have purposes and intentions, but sometimes God gives us things for us to experience in order to show us glimpses into more miraculous things. For example, marriage, it, it then becomes this beautiful example and metaphor for Christians that we may be able to gain insight into the fact that there are depths in the character of Christ's love for his church. Like, that's what marriage is supposed to represent. And for us to see, like, whoa, in marriage, it, it's the same kind of love and, and sacrifice as what Christ's love did for his church. But guess what? Same is for singleness. See, singleness becomes this beautiful example and metaphor for Christians that we might grasp insight into what eternal heaven is going to look like. See, it's this moment where all of our longing for relationship will forever be fulfilled through our union with Christ alone. See, I want us to be people that don't put too much value on either one, but see them in the way that God wants us to see them, that we just don't get so caught up in putting our value in one that then we forget that God is actually wanting us to have hearts that surrender our life to him and that we're daily present in whatever he puts in our way, right? And so that's the first thing. If we get singleness wrong, we also get marriage wrong as well because they're so intertwined with each other in, uh, in the way that God had intended. Second thing we have. 
Singleness is a present and not a poverty. See, I want us to see singleness as a gift, a present. Like, imagine opening up a gift on Christmas. You're so excited for it because it was tended and thought of as a gift for you, right? But I want us to see, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul makes a comment about singleness. He says, But I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God, one um, of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to the widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. See, we see this moment where Paul's talking about sandwiched into a bigger passage about marriage. And so what he's recognizing is that there's benefits to singleness and there's benefits to marriage he even even says, look, he's like, but staying unmarried is even better. And so what he's acknowledging also is that singleness was good for him. That when he was single, and he continues to be single until the rest of his life, it, that it was good for him. It was a gift. And so that we have to see singleness and marriage as a gift. So either we have a gift of singleness or we have a gift of marriage. See... I want us to not think of this as a lack. If you have the gift of singleness, I want you to see it as the gift that it is and not, oh, I I don't have enough. Like a woe is me kind of moment, right? And so I want to say if you have, if you're single, it's a gift. If you're married, it's a gift. And yes, they are different. Yes, but both still gifts from God. And so I want us to begin to operate not in singleness, not just in a, oh my goodness, this is the worst thing ever, but in a moment of like, whoa, God has given me this gift, so what does he want me to do with this gift? Third thing is, in singleness, there is wholeness in Christ and oneness in the body. What I mean by that is that God has created some really cool things for us. Like some of the moments where I've gone hiking and seen an epic sunset, so good, so amazing, right? We can say the same thing. God created relationships, and those are so cool and so amazing. But here's the deal. God created good things, but not all good things are required for us to experience the fullness of Christ, And so we see in John 17, we're jumping into one of the Gospels, we see Jesus is in his last hours. So right before he's crucified, he spends some time praying. And he begins to pray over himself, he begins to pray over his disciples, and he also begins to pray over future disciples. So if you are walking with Jesus, you've said yes to Jesus, he is praying that over you. And so I want us to look at what he prays at. So... Another thing I really want us to uh, really realize and notice is that before we jump in, like, if you could imagine if you were in your last hours and you knew it and you were praying something, you would be praying incredibly important things, right? You would choose the most important things. And so look what Jesus prays for specifically, what he's praying over us. He says in John 17, verse 20, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. 
I pray that they will be all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. See, Jesus is taking this precious moment to pray over our oneness, to pray over the fact that we are one just like he is one with the Father. That he prays that we take the glory that is given to us and that we may be able to be one in perfect unity. And not only that, but then we become examples so much so that others get to experience the Father's love. Others get to experience God's love. And what I want us to realize in that scripture, were there any prerequisites? Was it like only the single people can be a part of this? Only the married people can be a part of this. No, he says, any future disciples. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, this is what Jesus is praying over you. And so what he's praying is that our desire and purposes in life is to be one as the body of Christ for his name's sake. And so we get to, in this moment, recognize the goodness of marriage, but not make it the one thing. We get to recognize the goodness of singleness, but not make it the one thing. But that the one thing is us being unified as one perfectly in union through Christ Jesus. Because here's a reality check. Marriage ends at death. According to the Bible, we're not married in heaven. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And and so that might be a little shocking to you. You're like, what? (laughs) That's crazy. I didn't know that. But what we have to realize is now that we do, it shifts our priorities. It shifts our perspectives and begins to transform our mind and gets an opportunity for us to reflect on what are we clinging on to? What are we holding on to? See, are we finding our hope and our confidence in things of this life? Or are we finding everything found in the wholeness of Jesus? Are we finding our hope and our confidence in Jesus? See, singleness doesn't keep us away from experiencing the fullness of Christ. Also, a little side note, if loneliness might be part of your story in this moment, maybe it's a time for us to think about our friendships. Maybe we have an anemic or a, a, a wrong thinking of what friendship can be like that's not romantic. Because when Jesus says in Proverbs 29, he says, a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. It's this moment that, man, Christian friendship can be deep and rich and good. And if you can say that, you're like, man, yeah, I can think of friends that are Christians and my friendship with them is deep and good. Praise God. Lean into those, like treasure those friendships, right? And maybe this is a moment where you say, well, I really can't say that about my friends. Well, tough love, maybe it's time to get new friends. Like there are many people in this place 
that are so in love with Jesus and so good at being friends, maybe it's time for you to start praying like, man, Lord, what would it look like for me to have friendships that are so life-giving? But again, singleness doesn't remove access from experience God to the full. And so I brought some examples. So I've been going through a Bible challenge, and I've been reading a lot of the Bible. And I started circling all the single people. And I'm like, okay, what did they do? How did God use them? Acts 21, Philip has four unmarried daughters. And it literally says, Philip, four unmarried daughters, and yet they prophesied. Whoa, they prophesied. They were single and used by God. We have Elisha. He called down fire from heaven, and he also raised somebody from the dead. Wow. Single and used by God. We have John the Baptist. He paved the way for the Messiah. He got to literally baptize Jesus, single and used by God. There's Anna. She's a prophetess who she was able to recognize young Jesus as the Savior. Whoa. Could you imagine if you, like, knew the person that walked in where you're like, whoa, that's God. Single and used by God. We have Mary Magdalene. She was literally started off being possessed by so many demons and then yet became the first person to see Jesus resurrected. Single and used by God. We see Paul. He is one of the apostles that established so many churches during the Roman Empire and also wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament that is continuing to speak to us, single and used by God. We have Jesus. We have Jesus. So if we were to say that if I'm lacking something or I'm not fully in Christ, what we're saying is Jesus, because he was single, he wasn't fully what he was meant to be. What? And you might be like, yeah, well, he's God, right? And it's also really awkward to talk about Jesus' love life. But literally, that's the point. It's because of love that Jesus decided to come down, be with his people, lead a blameless and beautiful, perfect ministry here on earth. And then he took all the sins of everyone there ever was. And then he is crucified in the most horrific way in order for him to die. And then three days later, rise again in order for him to be able to repair the beautiful uh, relationship that God intended between his creation because of love. Jesus was single and used by God. But this kind of mulls into our very last point. Because of this, we choose true identity over false idols. Jesus knew his identity and he walked in it. He knew his purpose, and he acted upon it. See, last week, Jake did an amazing job really walking us through what it means for us to see the dangers of falling into idolatry. And so if you missed it, we have a podcast. I, I truly, truly, truly say, like, go check it out. But here's the truth. In Ephesians 2, it's a long passage, but I'm going to read it over us, and I want us to realize that there is identity built in when Jesus is talking about us. 
So I want you to be able to hear the identity that's being said. I want you to hear the purposes and hear the power that comes from our true identity. Here it goes, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in our hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us who used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, by... By nature, we're subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God, if you have your Bible, which a lot of you do, great job, circle that. Verse 4, but God, we were deserving of God's anger and his wrath. But here in verse 4, it says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead, because of our sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things you have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created in us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do good things he has planned for us long ago. That is our identity. That is our true identity. And guess what? None of it at all is affected by whether or not you're single. None of it at all is whether in fact you are married or in a relationship. It doesn't phase God in the slightest. We have to know that our identity is grounded in truth, that we are beloved sons and daughters of the risen king. See, through God's mercy, we are given life. We are given an opportunity to be seated with Christ, in, united together in union because of his kindness, because of his grace towards us. Because, see... What you ultimately claim as your identity becomes this revelation of what your hope is. See, what you think is the most important aspects about yourself shows your hand on where actually you're clinging your hope to. Because watch out, there's this moment when we begin to purchase the lie that if we're single, that means that we are not fully what God created us to be. We begin to belittle the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we start to taint the actual works of Jesus, and we are stating by that fact that he isn't enough. That we're saying that our singleness is a bigger problem than what God can handle. But I know 1 Corinthians 6 says, don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you at a high price. So you must honor God with your body. 
Single people don't have a junior Holy Spirit living within them. God doesn't operate in that way. The Holy Spirit is powerful enough to work within whatever context you're in. See, we get unique opportunities whether you're single. We get unique opportunities whether you're in a relationship and married. But we're all confronted with challenges. But it's God and through the Holy Spirit is the one that is causing sanctification in us. That is empowering us because in Christ we are redeemed. In Christ, we are set free. We've all been pursued and being pursued by the most loving God in the universe that decided that, hey, you're worth it enough for me to die in your stead. So as we close, I want to call up Kaleo. See, no matter if you're single, no matter if you're married, we live in this beautiful meanwhile. We sometimes call it the age of grace means that we know what has happened and we know what's to come. And so within that context, we can see the value of singleness. We can see the value of marriage, but begin to return that insecurity that it is not enough, that we are lacking things, right? Because there are definitely way more interesting, way more powerful, and way more important things about yourself than whether or not you're single. And so I want us to be able to really know what is my identity in Christ? What does the Bible say? And so leaders are going to start passing out a little affirmation that I had um, a friend write. And what I want us to do is I want us, as the pa uh, papers get passed out, is I want you to hold it. And maybe you're in a season where you're like, okay, Britt, singleness and marriage, that is, isn't really affecting me. But there are other things that are affecting the way that I see myself. I want you to take this piece of paper, and maybe it's every day. Maybe it's twice a day, <laughs> whatever it might look like. I want you to read this out loud. Put it somewhere, whether it's in your Bible, whether it's um, in your room, on a mirror, wherever it is. But I want you to be able to speak these out because these are what's true about you. These things are so true that because you're single, they don't change. If you're married or in a relationship, they don't change. And so what I want to do is I want to take a moment and I just want to read them over you. Would it build your faith up? Here we go. I am strong and mighty in Christ. I have Christ dwelling in me. I am a weapon of righteousness in a dark world. I am not my past. I am not what I did. I am not what they think I am. I am who God says I am. I am forgiven. I am free. I am redeemed. I am not a hostage to my unhealthy thoughts. The weapons I fight with are not weapons of this world. They have the power to demolish strongholds. I have the mind of Christ directing my thoughts. I have the word of God guiding my steps. Worry is not my master. I trust in God. God's peace guards my heart and mind. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but a sound mind. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. 
I am not a slave to my habits. I am not a prisoner to my addictions. I have been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's light. I'm empowered. I am called. I am chosen. I am the masterpiece of God, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God is for me. God is with me. No weapons formed against me will prosper. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. I am who God says I am. Six, seven, eight, would you know that truth about yourself? You are who God says you are. So as you stand up and come to the front, we're going to end this time of worship. And I want you to really think about and reflect, man, Lord, help me. Help me believe these things about myself. Help me believe the truth about my identity. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much, God, that you are a God that works within our context, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough for any insecurity that we have. So, Lord, in this next moment, Lord, would we be able to just revel in awe in who you say we are? Lord, we thank you. Lord, we trust you, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen.